And speaking of unexpected situations, maybe you had that over Thanksgiving. I don't know. I don't know. Many of us were able to have family around the table. Uh, some of us were able to text or call or video chat with family and friends. Some of us had a hard weekend. I want to acknowledge that. Uh, but here we are. Here we are around as the family of God. And, and uh, Thanksgiving is a time for hospitality and guests. And, and I'm just wondering if you or somebody you know had anything unexpected happen to you this past weekend. All right? Maybe a little bit. I'm trying to read the room here. Okay. Um, I read this week about how to plan for the unexpected during Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. And uh, because sometimes sticky situations can occur with these unexpected guests and unexpected situations. So, and I'll just mention some sticky situations. Your, your extra grace required uncle with no verbal filter shows up. I don't know, maybe if, right? And so, or, or how about um, your guest takes more than their fair share of food? <laughs> Has that ever happened? Yeah. Or how about this one? Y your guest wants ketchup on their turkey, okay? But the solution to that is it's in the fridge if you'd like, all right? Help yourself. Uh, here's a sticky situation. Guests won't leave. <laughs> but I'll bet no one has ever faced this sticky situation. An unexpected guest of questionable character crashes your Thanksgiving meal and proceeds to break every socially acceptable norm in culture. She lets down her hair sobs uncontrollably, soaking your feet with her tears. Then she blots the tears away with her hair. Then she kisses your feet and anoints them with expensive perfumed oil in front of everybody. I didn't think that's happened to anybody here. Huh? Yeah. But that actually happened. Are you interested in hearing about that? Say yes. Yeah. Well, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 36, verses 50. And it's a fascinating passage of Scripture about an unexpected guest with overwhelming gratitude. An unexpected guest lavishes grateful love for Jesus' life-changing grace. And you know, we're still talking about her. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. I want to put a tag on this message. Gratitude for grace. The parable of two debtors. Hear these words from the word one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he, that's Jesus now, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. So up to now, Jesus had been teaching and healing. You can see that if you go back to Luke chapter 6 just to set the stage for this passage. In in fact, turn there if you want to. You can see that Jesus had taught a version of the Sermon on the Mount uh, called the Sermon on the Plain. Chapter 6, verse 17, called it a level place. And so he's teaching and preaching. And then in chapter 7, Jesus performs miracles. He, He heals a Roman soldier's servant. He raises a widow's son from death. People are asking questions about Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? And, and including the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Did you notice as I read the text, beginning in verses 36 and 37, three times we hear that Jesus ate with a Pharisee. That, that he went to a Pharisee's house. That Jesus reclined at the Pharisee's table. 
Three times. In other words, so Luke really wants us to know where Jesus is and who he's with. Jesus is the guest of honor with other guests at a dinner table in the house of a Pharisee. A Pharisee. We've learned a little bit about Pharisees in this journey through the parables, haven't we? We've learned that the Pharisees were a, a group of recognized religious leaders in Israel. And, and by Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees as a group had been around for about 150 years. The word Pharisee means separate ones, separate ones. And uh, they were committed to keeping the laws of the Hebrew Bible. They, they did not want to be swallowed up in the, the pagan Greco-Roman culture. They wanted to remain distinct as the people of God. And so they were committed students and practitioners of God's Word. And that's not a bad thing at all, is it? But by Jesus' day, this had kind of um, morphed into some rigid, legalistic, arrogant posture. And, and so Jesus had a very, very uh, stressful relationship with the Pharisees. One of them, though, wanted to find out a little bit more about Jesus. So he invited him to dinner. And, and it's interesting, I found out in the study this week, it, it's possible that, that, in, it, that Jesus could have met around that table to be part of what the rabbis called, I'm going to throw out a Hebrew word on you here, a habarim, a habarim. What's that? That's a Hebrew word, as I said. So it's, it's, what is a habarim? It's a, small, it's a small dinner study group. So let's imagine your small groups that are meeting and you're having dinner. Some of you have habarim. You, you, you get together for dinner as a small group, and then you study the Bible together. And it's, it's very possible, a scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey says, it's, it's very possible that they would, have, they would have eaten together and studied together, and that could have very well have been the intent of their gathering. And Jesus is all about table fellowship, and he's all about wanting to study God's Word, Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that in our culture, you know, meals in homes are somewhat personal and private, even when guests are invited, because you come into your home and you close the door. But really, not back then. It would have been a, had a much more open-air feel. There would be a, like a courtyard and possibly a fountain. There'd be like a table set. And, and dinner would have been served on a table that with, with uh, uh, low, uh, low legs, uh, no chairs. The guests would have reclined on couches uh, called a triclinium. A triclinium. So a clinium is like a couch. A tri is like three, meaning three people could, 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 could recline on a couch and so what would happen is they would actually, they would actually be propped up with their, with their, left, with their left elbow, and then they would, they, they would, the meal, the common table would be there, and they would eat with their right hand. I think I've got a couple of pictures that I want to show you of, of what this might have looked like. You could see. Let's dim these stage lights so that we can thank you so much. You kind of get the idea. So there's, it's a tri so there, and there's three, three different couches there, and there's about three people per, per couch, and they're kind of leaning and talking, and, and as the court are being served uh, and 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 some properties had had an open air feel to it and this is the next picture that I want you to see so that's actually in the in ancient city of Pompey and uh, you can see the how the the triclinium would have had the people there on the side and they would have been eating out of 
the table that was there in the middle. And so this type of scenery would have attracted strangers and passers-by. They would have seen this meal in action. They might even observe from a distance, okay? Uh, and so news of Jesus' whereabouts passes around town, and perhaps a crowd forms. And so there's outsiders, and then there's insiders. And, and Jesus is dining with the insiders. And the outsiders are observing. What's this about? What's going to happen? Who's Jesus eating with? And dinner was served. And so, and so while they were reclining at table, an unexpected guest suddenly appeared. There on the, even on the property. And even that wasn't so much um, felt like a trespass in the way that our culture would be. It was much more porous. And this unexpected guest appeared. Look at verse 37. Behold, a woman of the city, a woman of the city. Who might that be? We'll keep reading. Who was a sinner. A sinner. What, 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 what kind of sinner? Luke doesn't say. Probably because the first audience who read the Gospel of Luke didn't need any further explanation. Sounds like she was a prostitute. An adulteress and it's not a large city so everybody knows who she is what's a what's a prostitute doing on the property of a pharisee huh verse 37 says when she had learned that jesus was near she learned that jesus was near so perhaps she'd heard him preach that sermon in luke chapter 6 maybe maybe the pharisee was there at that sermon too isn't that interesting She's over here on this side of the crowd, and he's over here on this side. I'm sorry, I don't know. I don't, I'm going to mix everybody up and make assumptions. I'm just saying. Maybe they both heard him say, Luke 6, 21, Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Anybody here been weeping lately? Can anybody use a laugh? Anybody hungry? And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm not talking about, about physical hunger. I'm talking about, are you looking for something more? Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. Has anybody here felt excluded in the past few days? Oh, you're lonely even in the crowd. Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. She'd never heard anything like this before. And when she learned where he was, she went there. This woman of the city carries this little flask of perfumed oil. Perfumed oil. Huh. She comes and she sees him and she races to the table like a, like a fan in the stands coming onto the court. She collapses at the feet of Jesus. She, she has no towel to wipe his feet. So she lets her hair down to blot the tears which have flooded his feet from her eyes. And then she begins to pour this perfume out on the feet of Christ. 
all while kissing his feet. That's what verse 38 says, right? And standing behind him, and standing behind him. So now that you've seen the picture of the triclinium, you can understand where she was standing, you see. That's why it says she was standing behind him, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil to have let down her hair publicly. Oh, in the West, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a cultural norm of ours, but, but in the Middle East, even today, you know, properly, hair would be either covered or, but she let her hair down. Everybody knew who she was. It's impossible for us 2,000 years later, our cultures separated by the canyon of time, it's impossible for us to feel the awkward and strained cringe that flooded that room. Two diametrically opposite people, a a Pharisee and a prostitute, a, a woman of the night, a pillar in the community. Religion, irreligion. In the same space with Jesus. Yes. Who was not distracted at all. And while all this was going on, Jesus was engaged in conversation, eating, drinking. He was talking. He was listening. Yes, he knew that she was there. He knew that she was there. But he was not distracted by her at all. Now, the Pharisee was, verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching her, for she is a sinner. Note his assumptions. You see the assumptions there? There's two assumptions that he makes. First of all, true prophets don't touch sinners. True prophets don't let themselves get polluted by dirty, adulterous women. Kind of makes you wonder if the Pharisee actually read the book of Hosea. Hosea was the prophet who was told by God to marry someone unclean. Assumption number one, true prophets don't touch sinners. Assumption number two, true prophets were clairvoyant. He should have known who she was. So so in this Pharisee's mind, because he let Jesus touch, uh, because, because because Jesus let her touch him, he wasn't clairvoyant, and therefore he wasn't a true prophet. That, That was it. His gavel slammed courts adjourned. Ironically, while the Pharisee assumed that Jesus could not read her character, Christ in fact proved that he could read the Pharisee's self-righteous heart. Right? Now listen, when scripture says that Jesus can read someone's heart, a rebuke is not far behind. And that's why verse 40 says, and answering, and answering. What was Jesus answering? The thought in his heart. <laughs> I mean, it's like there was a conversation going on, and this guy makes the first move, and Jesus, he makes, Jesus heard his thoughts. Jesus said to him, excuse me, Simon. Ah, so now this is the first time we hear his name. 
Isn't it interesting? It's all the way down here. and We now know his name. We now know that Jesus knows his name. Jesus knows the Pharisee by name. Simon the Pharisee. Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Now, remember, remember, parables are lenses to reality. So Simon is about to step inside the palace of God's reality. Simon is about to receive the gift of seeing the way God sees. Verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 denarii. Denarii, what is that? That's plural for denarius. Denarius, what's a denarius? It's one day's wage. Think in your mind how much you get paid for one day's work. Now multiply that 500. That's how much some of you are in debt in this parable some of you are in debt 50 days okay so one of the debtors owed 500 days wages the other debtor 50 days wages both were in debt both were insolvent both could not repay the debt and both were in trouble verse 42 when they could not pay what happened what happened he canceled the debt of both that's the unexpected surprise in this parable. See, all these parables have a, wow, that's what this is. And why? Has your bank told you you don't have to pay your mortgage anymore? No, no, mine neither. I tell them, I'm a pastor. We don't care. That's cold. But it's true. Yeah. Nobody forgave debts back then. Nobody did. And debts were serious, and they'd have bankruptcy laws. So it's a serious issue. You can't repay your debt, you go to prison. You go to debtor's prison. Well, how are they going to pay it off? You're, you're not. You're done. You're done. And this is where God springs to life in this parable. Oh, because God is ready to forgive debt. He canceled the debt of both, just like that. They could not repay. He canceled the debt. He, 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 God is prepared to burn the mortgage. That's the surprise. God is ready to forgive debt. He, he's, a, he's able to act beyond our expectation. It, it's, not what the sin, it's not what the sinner is that Jesus sees, but what the sinner could be through grace. What can your life look like with no debt, you see? This is the reality that, that Jesus wants Simon to see. And so Jesus then says, now which of them will love him more? And Simon hymns and haws and says, well, I suppose, I suppose, the one who had the larger debt, I suppose. What do you mean, I suppose? Why would he say, I suppose? Because Simon knows he's in a corner. That's why. And he knows that he's been caught in the act of legalism. Yeah. I suppose the one who had the larger debt. And Jesus said, you're right. I'm with you, man. I totally agree with you. And that's when Jesus acknowledged her. Oh, 
he, he, he turns to her, he turns to her, but he speaks to him. Do you see that in the text? He turns to her, he speaks to him. Do you see her? Do you see her? Oh, sit in that question for a little bit. There's a lot we can learn. Do you see her? Simon, here's a what's really happened replay. You invite me to your house as your guest, as your honored guest. That's verse 36. He reclined at table. The VIP guest would do that. Simon, when I entered your house, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. It was customary in that day of dusty, dirty roads and tired, achy, smelly feet from the road trip to refresh a guest's feet with cool water. And, and the most attentive of hosts would actually wash their guest's feet. But at a very minimum, they would provide the water. Simon, that didn't happen. Furthermore, Simon, you didn't greet me with a customary kiss. Thirdly, Simon, you, you haven't given me oil for my face and head to feel refreshed. I mean, the, 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 these are basic, customary, practically unconscious acts of hospitality. We, well, we, we, have, we have our rituals here, don't we? I mean, what happens when I come to your house? Well, first you answer the door, right? And, and then you greet me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please come in. May I take your coat? May, uh, and, and, shoes or no shoes? Please be seated. Would you like something to drink? Here's a charcuterie board. Make yourself at home. Be comfortable. What, these are basic Midwestern American customs of hospitality. And, 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 and you might overlook one or two of them, but Simon was O for three. Jesus then says, and it's, it's a great phrase, you see it in the text, but she, you didn't, but she, you didn't, but she, you didn't, but she. And Jesus' point is not, Simon, she did more than what you did. His point is, she did more than what you didn't do, man. She has displayed better hospitality, and this ain't her house. And Simon didn't know what to say. Jesus did, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And, and Simon knows exactly who's who in that parable. And Simon knows exactly who loved more and who loved less. He knows exactly. And then to signal to Simon and everybody else that Jesus is more than a teacher and more than a prophet. Hear what he says in verse 48. You see that? Your sins are what? Forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the others at the table, gasp. <gasps> On three, I want you to gasp. One, two, three. <gasps> there you go. Who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. End of chapter. And, 
and we're left wondering, what's this about? Oh, this, this, is about, this is about grace and gratitude. This is about how grace generates gratitude. And it all comes in this convergence of these three people. Simon, the woman, and Jesus. Before I sit down, let's talk about each of them. Simon, who is Simon? Well, Simon, Simon is all about accomplishments. That's who he's about. Simon, Simon says you are what you accomplish. You are what you accomplish. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are who you... And the, the problem is that when you're committed to the idea that your accomplishments are your identity, you're not going to see the world the way God wants us to see the world. See, see, Simon thinks that this dinner table is about two teachers and a sinner. That, that's how Simon sees it. And, 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 and furthermore, he sees Jesus as a junior partner, a junior colleague. He, he's and he's invited Jesus to the grown-ups table. All right? So, so you don't all, any longer have to sit at the cardboard table for Thanksgiving, Jesus. Come into the dining room with us. He said, yeah, how generous of him. And once they're at the, at the big group table, the adult table, he's going to evaluate Jesus and then render a judgment about him. Yeah. Which he did, didn't he? Didn't he? If he were a prophet. <laughs> huh? His self-righteousness blinded him to this woman's beautiful display of, of, of grateful faith. One, one commentator wrote, do we see people for what they've been or do we see people for what God can make them to be? Do we see the possibilities of grace for others or are we like Simon? Huh? I have some diagnostic questions to discern the presence of Simon within us these are for me I want to share them with us question number one am I more likely to see sin in others than my own sin question number two when I pray am I more likely to pray for God's judgment on others rather than give gratitude for God's amazing grace toward me Number three, am I more likely to see faults or possibilities in the lives of others? Four, does my own sin ever lead me to deep remorse and repentance? Does it? Number five, do I tend to be unforgiving while expecting others to forgive me quickly? Number six, do I find more joy in exposing sin in others or in sharing the good news of Christ? Seven, when others see how I deal with people, will they think God is mighty to save or that God would never forgive them and there's no hope for forgiveness? Number eight, and those of you who've been in my unoffendable class will recognize this question. Does my life make it plausible for others to believe that God truly loves them? 
I'm afraid that Simon, the Pharisee, is related to the elder brother in the parable of the lost son. He loves to be right. He loves the law. He obsesses over where he stands, and he thinks he knows what's coming to him. See, for Simon, the opposite of a sinful life is a virtuous life, a life where you keep all the rules and you act respectably and you pay all your bills on time. And, and so Simon lived with, 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 a, with tight, proper, starched virtue. But Jesus says that the opposite of sin is not virtue. Jesus says that the opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is faith. Isn't that what he says to the woman? He didn't say, woman, your virtue has saved you. He says, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. So let's talk about her for a moment. Who is this woman? She's forgiven. That's who she is. She's been rescued. She's been saved from a past from which she could not extricate herself. She's been forgiven a debt that she could not repay. And she came because she had turned from her past. She received forgiveness from Christ himself. And here's the rude awakening for Simon and for all of us. No one really owes God 50 denarii. We're all in deep 500 denarii. All of us here. And so ironically, this dear woman, this dear forgiven woman turned out to be more holy and more pure than this religious leader. And why? Because her sins are forgiven. What good is your virtue if you die unforgiven? We don't know about Simon yet, do we? She responds extravagantly, though, and she didn't care what anybody else thought. What, what gift would move you so much that you would weep and bawl and break every social convention without flinching, all because you were so happy and at peace with what Christ had done for you that you could not do yourself? What, what gift would that be? One author wrote, her love for Jesus was the effect of her forgiveness, not the cause. It was the consequence of her forgiveness, not the condition. It was the fruit of her forgiveness, not the root. It was the result of her forgiveness, not the reason. She, she showed so much love because she felt so much forgiveness. Is Simon going to figure that out? Will we? Here's what I want you to see in this, in this passage, church. Gratitude is our loving response to receiving God's grace. There. Gratitude, gratitude. Now, listen, biblical gratitude is not a cultural courtesy. It's not, it's not a cultural nicety, okay? You'll, you'll give a gift to someone and they'll say thank you. And, but, 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 and that's... That's very courteous, but biblical gratitude is like waving the white surrender flag to the giver. Biblical gratitude acknowledges the impossibility of repayment. That's biblical gratitude. Biblical gratitude is what I say when I, when I say thank you, God, and that 
biblically translated means, how can I possibly repay all of your goodness for me? I can't. It's impossible. Biblical gratitude is Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I can't, I can't repay you, God. Your grace has changed me. And you've changed how I think and how I live and how I relate and, and how I see others. When, when we are forgiven in Christ, we become neighbors. Oh, more than neighbors. We become siblings. We, we are equals in the eyes of Christ. Had Simon really grasped this, if he'd have grasped who he was and who she was and who Christ is, then, then he would have seen her. And then he would have invited her around the table. Yes, his sister in the gospel to the table. And they would have all dined together with Jesus. Someone once said, to be connected with the church. You looking for a church? Well, let me just tell you what, what you're getting into. To be connected with the church is to be associated with scoundrels, warmongers, fakes, murderers, adulterers, and hypocrites of every description. It also, at the same time, identifies you with saints and the finest persons of heroic soul within, within every time and country and race and gender. To, to be a member of the church is to carry the mantle of both the, the worst and the finest of the soul because the church always looks like the original crucifixion. God hung among thieves. And that leads us to Jesus here, and then I'm going to sit down. Who is Jesus? Verse 49. Who is this? Who is this? Simon called him teacher and wondered if he was a prophet, and Jesus proved that he's more than a teacher and a prophet. See, he forgives the woman her sins. He identifies with the moneylender in the parable. He finances our future with the currency of grace. He receives her worship. He does not send her to the temple in Jerusalem to say, offer your gifts there and receive forgiveness. No, no, no. He absolves her sin right there on the spot in his very presence. Who does that? God does that. God does that. The, the gospel is, is not that my salvation depends on my ability to keep the commands. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that my salvation depends upon God's ability to keep his promises. And so to Jesus, this is not about two teachers and one sinner. <laughs> it's about two sinners and the teacher. Christ, who is king over all. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you want the grace that enables sacrificial love? Do you want the grace that invites us to the table where Christ is? Do you want to be able to see this Christmas? Well, Jesus said to her, go in peace. Wonder where she's going to go. She's going to need a church. She's going to find a church? Where will she find a church? She's going to need one. 
may I give her the name of ours. Heavenly Father, how can we repay all of your goodness to us? When we say thank you to the Lord, we, we mean there's nothing that we can do to repay. We just, we just want to be with you. We want to be at your table. We want to follow your directions. We want to follow you. We want to become like you. We want to be the kind of people who will help others come around the table that you have given us to share and to be hospitable. Flood us now with your grace and God give us eyes to see for your glory and the good of others and God's people said,